Our scripture reading this morning will be Psalms, or Psalm 39 rather. Again, that is Psalm 39. The word of the Lord reads, I said, I will guard my ways that I may not sin with my tongue. I will guard my mouth with a muzzle so long as the wicked are in my presence. I was mute and silent. I held my peace to no avail and my distress grew worse. My heart became hot within me. As I mused, the fire burned. Then I spoke with my tongue. O Lord, make me know my end and what is the measure of my days. Let me know how fleeting I am. Behold, you have made my days a a few hand breaths, and my life is as nothing before you. Surely all mankind is as mere breath. Surely a man goes about as a shadow. Surely for nothing they are in turmoil. Man heaps up wealth and does not know who will gather. And now, O Lord, for what do I wait? My hope is in you. Deliver me from all my transgressions. Do not make me the scorn of the fool. I am a mute. I do not open my mouth, for it is you who have done it. Remove your strokes from me. I am spent by the hostility of your hand. When you discipline a man with rebukes for sin, you consume him like a moth what is you consume like a moth, like a moth, what is dear to him. Surely all mankind is a mere breath. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and give ear to my cry. Hold not your peace at my tears, for I am a sojourner with you, a guest like all my fathers. Look away from me that I may smile again before I depart and am no more. Amen. Amen. If you are here this morning in anticipation of us continuing our study through um, Acts, I just want to um, apologize this morning for the perhaps a slight disappointment as we take a small detour. Lord willing, if he tarries, we will have time for Acts, and if he doesn't, it won't matter. <laughs> Amen? Amen? Amen. But this morning I wanted to draw your attention to Psalm 39. I was struck, I'm sure as most of you were, by the events that happened this week in Charleston, South Carolina. I thought it would be good for us just to meditate for a moment this morning and reflect on those events in light of our lives and the purposes of God, and find in God's Word some comfort, some challenge, if not, answers. Amen? Let's pray and ask God's blessing upon us this morning. Father, we do thank you that you are gracious, wonderful, glorious God, delighting to come in the midst of your people, open their hearts that they might see from your words the glories that belong to Christ and Christ alone. And so this morning we pray by your Spirit 
that we would be the recipients of your mercy. Even as you are merciful to us, Lord, we pray for those who are gathered this morning at Emmanuel AME Church. May your mercy abound. May your spirit comfort. May they be uplifted to know that there is a God in heaven who reigns, who has not abdicated his throne, but his purposes ultimately will be made plain. We know, Lord, that you are able to do this and more. We pray that you would be willing here, there, and everywhere your people are gathered. Magnify your name. We pray in Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Evil in this world is, is often veiled. It's, it's glossed over, as it were. It is glossed over by this facade of manicured lawns, fancy and awe-inspiring architecture loud entertainment and music. And consequently, we often look at the beauty that is in this world and we are lulled, as it were, into believing almost that evil had somehow been set at bay. And yet... Evil is always there, lurking in the background, camouflaged, as it were, amongst the trees, until suddenly and almost without warning, it strikes. And when it strikes, it kind of shakes us out of our slumber. And we realize evil is real. And it is unmistakable. This past Wednesday evening, a young man filled with malice in his heart and ill intent on his mind walked into an evening Bible study and prayer meeting at Emmanuel AME Church in Charleston, South Carolina. And with premeditation, murdered in cold blood, nine people including the pastor. When the police arrived on the scene, they described it as horrific. One of the most disturbing scenes they had ever saw. This week, if you have a pulse, 
You were shaken by these reports. If you're anything like me, you were left speechless, heartbroken. What do you, what do you say in the face of such pain? What do you say in the response to such hurt and loss? How do we gain perspective in a world in which evil like that exists? I think we can gain a little bit of perspective as we meditate a little bit on Psalm 39. It's a Psalm of David. David was a blessed and beloved psalm writer because, beloved, he was not afraid to show his emotions. He was passionate. He was passionate about God. He was passionate about worship. He was passionate about life. He was passionate, passionate about praise, and he was passionate about righteousness. but he was also passionate in his disdain for evil and wrong and injustice and unrighteousness. You read this psalm here, Psalm 39, and you don't know immediately the, the context or the circumstances of David's life that is expressed through this psalm. You don't know exactly what David is, is going through, but it is evident by the tone and the tenor of the psalm that there is some aspect in life, there is something in life that is causing him to be frustrated. There's something about his life or the world as he is observing it or as the world is pressing in upon him that is causing him hurt, that is causing him pain. He is at some level suffering loss. Some tragedy is afflicting him. Reminding us that David was a man of passions just like you and me. Frustration at work. Frustration at home. Frustration with the family. financial upheavals, the betrayal of, of friends, the loss of loved ones, sickness and death, and slander, and disasters both natural and man-made, terrorism, murder, abuse, neglect, racism, discrimination. Again, we don't know exactly the circumstances that were surrounding David as he penned this psalm, but whatever the circumstances were, it is evident from the psalm that they were distressing and they were heart-aching. Much like many of us felt this week. I kept asking myself, 
How does something like this happen? What kind of monster walks into a church, sits amongst those in prayer and Bible study, and suddenly, without warning, starts gunning people down? You search your mind. You look into the reservoir of your meditations and devotions seeking answers. You try to make sense of it. You try to find the words to pray. You try to put yourself in the shoes of those who are suffering directly this morning. Someone at Emmanuel is preaching this morning. Someone is praying. Someone is teaching Sunday school. Someone is leading the worship. The doors of that church are open this morning. What would you say if you were there? What would you say if it was East Point Church this morning? What do we learn in times like these? Is such suffering meaningless? Is it futile? Do the monsters and the evil triumph? Will it ever end? Oh, and beloved, is God in control? And there are redemptive purposes even in the hardest of trouble. Might I suggest to you this morning that the latter is true? Even in times like these, there is challenge and encouragement from God's Word. Psalm 39, I think, is instructive this morning because David teaches us that in the midst of evil, and in the midst of wrongdoing, there's three things that I want us to reflect upon from this psalm. We won't cover the whole psalm. I only had a couple of days. But there are a couple of points, a couple of verses here that I want us to reflect upon. The first one to be mindful of is that in the midst of such pain and suffering and evil, I must control my tongue. Notice what David said in verse 1. I will guard my ways that I might not sin with my tongue. I will guard my mouth with a muzzle so long as the wicked are in my presence. 
What do you do, beloved? What do you do? What do you say when the evil of this world presses in upon your life, when it presses in upon the church and comes crashing through the doors? What do you say? David says, I will remain silent. Why? Because the temptation is to speak too soon. Temptation in the face of wrong and loss and, and pain is often to speak too soon. The, the temptation in response to the sin of others is to speak without thinking. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse 7, and there's a time to be silent and there's a time to speak. And do you notice there that the silence comes before the speaking? There is a time to be silent and there is a time to speak. And the silence comes before the speaking. David says, I will muzzle my mouth. James chapter 1 verse 19 says that we are to be quick to listen and slow to speak. Again, the silence comes before the speaking. Quick to listen and slow to speak. Proverbs 18 and 13, to answer before listening is both folly and shame. To speak before you have heard the matter, before you have listened, before you have gained understanding is both a shame and a folly. It is foolishness. Proverbs 29 and 20, it says, Do you see a man who is hasty in his words? There's more hope for a fool than for him. In the midst of evil, beloved, in the face of wrong and being wrong and wrongdoing, our first response is often to say something. When someone is suffering or going through, the first response is we feel we just have to say something. But you do understand that the best thing that you can often do for people who are suffering and just going through is to sit there and say nothing. Job's friends were in a good place as they sat there and were silent. They didn't get into trouble until they started opening their mouth. When you're going through pain and loss, David said, I will muzzle my mouth. And contrary to muzzling our mouth, oftentimes the first person who comes along, we want to complain. We've been wrong. We not only want God to know, but we want everybody else to know. We don't know how to keep our own counsel. We don't know how to control our own tongues. In the midst of being wrong, not only do we take it to God, but we want everyone around us to know that we have been wrong and this isn't right. 
And it's not enough. It's not enough just to tell the people who may have wronged you that they have wronged you, but then we have to go to Facebook. And we have to go to Twitter. Because it's not enough for God to know that we've been wronged. It's not enough for the other party to know that we have been wronged. But now we have to let the world know that we have been wronged. On social media, there's a lot of foolish talk. A lot of foolish communication that people who call themselves Christians. Because we haven't learned. How to muzzle our mouths. And how to keep silent. Even in the midst of evil doing. Not only do we speak too soon, beloved, but because we speak too soon, that makes us speak too rash. Notice what David says. Why does he not want to speak too soon? Because he knows that if he speaks too soon, he will speak too rash, and therefore he will sin. Therefore, I want to guard my tongue because I don't want to sin. I don't want to sin. He doesn't want to sin against God. He doesn't want to sin against us. Because when we speak too soon, we usually speak out of anger. And therefore, we usually speak wrongly, falsely accusing God and vindicating ourselves. Excusing ourselves. And David said he wants no part of that, and therefore he's going to muzzle his mouth. He's going to hold his tongue. Why? Because I don't want to speak without wisdom. I don't want to speak without understanding. I don't want God to say to me like he said to Job. Why do you question God's counsel with words without Knowledge. Hush! Hush for a moment and, and listen. Hush! Listen to the mind of God. Hush! In the midst of suffering and evil in the world, the Christian's first response needs to be hush! Listen for a moment to the pain of others. Don't speak. And then listen for a moment for the heartache of God. Listen. Hush! Listen! Listen as Jesus is there by the tomb of Lazarus. And if you keep talking, you're going to miss that he wept. Hush! The Lord is weeping. Hush! Listen as he tells Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 in the midst of his pain and affliction and his crying out to God when Jesus says, Paul, my grace is sufficient. Hush! 
heartache of God. You might hear the weeping of Christ. And you might hear him saying, my grace is sufficient. Hush. Hush. Paul says in Romans chapter 11, verse 33, Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out for who, he says, who has known the mind of God and who has been his counselor. That's knowledge, beloved. That's wisdom. And even in the midst of a world that seems to have gone off the tracks, all the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. When you get that truth, when you hush enough to realize that reality, then you understand that there is also a time to speak. Ecclesiastes 3 and 7 says there's a time to be silent and there is a time to speak. David says, I will muzzle my mouth as long as the wicked are in my presence. And he was quiet and he, well, he kept his own counsel. He kept his own peace. But he understands also that there is coming a time when I must say something. Can't hold my peace forever. And so it began to well up in him, he says. And sooner or later, he says, I just had to speak. And notice how he speaks. In verse 4. Oh, Lord, he prays. Make me know my end. What is the measure of my days? Let me know how fleeting I am. Not only must I control my tongue, but in the midst of these tragic events in the world and in my life, I must learn to count my days. Control your tongue. Consider your time. Consider your days, beloved. Not only, he says, will I hold my tongue and not presume upon the secret counsels of God, but when I do speak, I will seek to speak with wisdom and humble myself before the sovereignty of God and the wideness of his mercy. So that in the face of this wrong, whatever it was for David, David could no longer hold his peace, but he knew there is a time to speak. But notice how he speaks. He speaks not of the wrong of others, but first he speaks of his own frame. 
and how fragile his own life is. Let me know, Lord, as I seek to understand this world, how fleeting is my life. To ask the Lord to measure your days, beloved, is to ask the Lord to remind us that our days are numbered. And our lives are in his hands. You know our lives are but a moment. We are here today, and we're gone tomorrow, beloved. Life happens in a moment. No, we don't like to think about it. But life happens in a moment. And things change suddenly. And suddenly, we are forced into a reality where we are asking, wow, what just happened? Wow, what really matters? I went to the website this week for Emmanuel AME Church. There's an announcement on their website for Bible study. It reads like this. Is something missing from your life? Are you doing all you can to have a closer relationship with God? If you have a desire to learn more about God, then join us on Wednesday at 6 p.m. in the lower level of the church. We look forward to seeing you. Beloved, when the members of Emmanuel AME Church went to Bible study that night, this past Wednesday, no doubt, they all went with plans for the rest of the evening. They all went with plans for the next day. Some probably had plans of getting closer to God. Some had plans of seeing family and friends and reconnecting with loved ones. Some had plans of repenting from sin. Some came with plans of committing even more sin. No one went to Bible study with plans to die. And in a moment, plans change. Plans change in a moment. Life happens. And in those times, we are reminded that our lives in this world are hanging on a thread. And that thread is subject to be cut at any moment. We don't like to think about it. And we definitely don't like to talk about it. But the reality is, beloved, our lives, as David said, are but a vapor. You have measured them, Lord, in the span of a hand. 
We are here today. And we are gone tomorrow. When you see evil and tragedy like that, the purpose, the God's redemptive purpose is to shake us out of, uh, of, of being lulled to sleep into thinking that eternity is not a breath away. It is, beloved. It is but a breath away. The Lord is reminding us our lives are momentary. And in James chapter 4, verse 13, the Bible says, Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make profit. You do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord will, we will live. If the Lord wills, we will do this or that. Because tomorrow, beloved, is not promised. And therefore, we press upon each of us in here that today is the day of salvation. Now is the time. Luke chapter 13. It said, Jesus, have you not heard of the loss of life and the the wicked slaughter that has gone on? And Jesus said something that would seem unloving and uncaring, but it was Jesus showing that he really does care because he knows the fragility of life where he said, Yes, I have seen. Yes, I have heard. And unless you repent, you should fear likewise. Think about it, beloved. You think about the the brevity of life when you think about how fragile our existence is, why do we make much to do about nothing? Nothing. Why do we waste our lives in the futility of things? Why do we get angry over those things that really don't matter? Why do we get offended when people really mean no offense? Why do we fuss and fight about things that have no eternal significance and do nothing but set us at odds with one another? There's a chance. There's a chance. You do understand. 
that today may be the last conversation you have with me. What's the last thing you want to say? What are the last words that you want to be left with? What really matters? Paul says in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 5, let your gentleness be known to everyone. Why? Because the Lord is at hand. Because the Lord is coming back. Because today you may make, you may meet your maker. And if that's the case, let your gentleness be known. Leave that with people. Because tomorrow, you may not have another chance. We worry and we're given to worry about things that we have no control over. Listening to Jesus, he says, Matthew 6 and 27, and which of you being anxious can add a single hour to the span of your life? Not a single hour. Not a moment. But God has ordered our lives, beloved. That's what, Paul, that's what David says in verse 5. Behold, you have made my days a few hand breaths, no longer than the lines that are upon my hand. And my lifetime is as nothing before you. God, you are in control of my life. And if God is in control of your life, God is in control of all the lives there in Charleston, God was in control of every life that was gathered there in that Bible study this past Wednesday. And if God is in control of those lives and our lives, the question that often is raised and naturally we raise it is, God, did you not see? Did you not see the tragedy of the senseless murder of those in Charleston? God, have you not heard then that lives were destroyed? Children lost parents. Wives lost husbands. Friends lost loved ones. Have you not heard? Did you not see? What, Lord, then, is to become of me? And David says, not only must I control my tongue, and not only must I count my days, but I must, when it's all said and done, hope in God. Hope in Beloved, when evil rears its ugly head in unthinkable and inexplicable ways, it may cause us to wonder what life is all about. 
Why do the wicked oppress your people? Why do murderers and abusers roam our streets seemingly unimpaired? Why does racism and poverty continue on unchecked? You know what David said? You know the counsel that David gave to to his readers in Psalm 37, just a couple of Psalms before? Psalm 37, verse 1, he says, Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of the wrongdoers. Trust in the Lord. That is the counsel that David gave. And now the counsel that he gave in 37 now becomes his own self-counsel. It's easy, beloved, to tell others to trust the Lord. It's easy to tell others how they ought to endure the hardship. It's easy to tell others how they ought to hold up under the persecution, under the misunderstanding, under the trial. But the faithful Christian not only counsels others, but he sets the example of doing the same. In 37, he counseled. In 39, he prayed. Oh, Lord, on whom do I wait? My hope is in you. Oh, Lord, where do I put my trust? My trust and my hope is in you. Why, beloved? Why is our hope in God. Why is God our hope? Because if I am slow to speak, if I take careful calculation of what is happening in this world, I realize that I need God as much as anyone. David reminds us, doesn't he? And I hope in God because as I look rightly with wisdom and understanding of what is happening in the world, it caused me to have some type of self-reflection and I see, Lord, I need forgiveness myself. Deliver me, he says in verse 8, deliver me from all my transgressions. Just because, beloved, don't get it twisted. Just because monsters exist, just because evil breaks out in this world, just because racism is real and discrimination happens every day doesn't mean I don't need to repent. Yes, sin exists in others. Yes, it does. Yes, there are monsters in this world. Yes, hatred and racism contend to mar our world and press upon us pain and hurt and disappointment. But what is most detrimental to me is my own sin. 
It's my own unrighteousness. It's my own iniquity. The world needs Jesus, but no more than I do. No more than I do. And therefore, I must hope in God. I must hope in God. You know what this week reminded me of, vivid reminder of, is that Christians suffer. Bullets don't miss Christians. The armor of God that you put on according to Ephesians chapter 6, doesn't protect you from the guns of monsters. Christians suffer. Christians lose loved ones. Christians experience pain in this world. Christians sorrow and go through suffering. But here's the difference, beloved. According to 1 Thessalonians 4 and 13, that our sorrowing is not as the world sorrows because we sorrow in hope, in hope of the reality that our God is in control and he will have the final word. It's what Luther said, isn't it? Though the world with devil feel, with threaten to undo us, we will not feel be, fear because God has willed his truth to triumph through us. We have hope. We have hope. And therefore we hope. We hope in Christ. We hope in Jesus. Jesus is necessary, beloved. Not just for the villains. He's necessary for the victims. Jesus is necessary. He's the only hope. The cross is not negated when I suffer, but on the contrary, the cross is my only hope in the midst of suffering. And so I, I, not only do I point people to the cross, but I run there myself. I run there myself. And when David says that God is my hope, David is not saying that Christ is our last hope, beloved. Christ is not your last hope. Christ is your only hope. I like to think we get to the end and we say, well, we've done all we can do. Now we can, all we can do is trust God. <laughs> oh, beloved, that was all you could have done in the first place. Because when the Bible says that our hope is in Christ, it doesn't mean that he is our last hope. It means that he is our only hope. There is no hope without him. Christ is our only hope. He's my only hope. The only way, beloved, when I see news reports like that, the only way 
that I take another step in this world. The only reason that I don't give up and say with the cynic, let us eat, drink, and be merry, because tomorrow we all die anyway, is because of the eternal hope that is offered to Christians in the Word of God. And what is that? That Christ died according to the Scriptures. Not only does the Scriptures say he died, but according to the Scriptures, he was buried. But not only was he buried, but according to the Scriptures, he was raised on the third day. And because of that, beloved, death is swallowed up. Death is swallowed up in victory. And I don't care how many times or how many Christians suffer and die. The church still triumphantly says, death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? It's gone. Why? Because, beloved, the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You know what they're singing at Emmanuel this morning? Victory in Jesus. Victory in Jesus. That's our anthem. The monsters don't have the last word. Evil will not triumph. We have Victory in Jesus. That's why we can sing, isn't it? Whatever my God ordains is right. Here shall my stand be taken. Though sorrow, need, or death be mine, yet I am not forsaken. My Father's care is round me there. He holds me that I shall not fall. And so to him, I leave it all. And so to him, I leave it all. Be not deceived this morning. Our God is in the heaven. He does as he pleases. And all that he does is right. Let us hope, hope in him. Let's pray. We thank you, Lord.